The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Welcome to another edition of Health Kick. I'm Tim Bora. Today's topic is cognitive testing, or uh, testing of brain functions. Uh, now, this used to be a case uh, of pretty unreliable paper-based methods, uh, sort of the tick and flick approach, um, or in the case of concussion, a coach would ask a player how many fingers he's holding up, and if he roughly gets it right, he's, uh, he's back on the field. Uh, now, the ASICS-listed cog state has been striving to raise the bar on brain testing, having devised a series of rapid and reliable computer-based cognitive tests. These are proving handy not just for concussion, but testing for disorders such as dementia, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, schizophrenia, autism and epilepsy. Concussion detection, of course, is a fast-developing field, given the increased awareness of the delayed damage caused by contact sports such as Aussie rules and rugby, uh, and indeed uh, soccer for that matter, even though it's supposedly non-contact. Um, I've got with me Cog State's CEO, Brad O'Connor, to tell us more about where the company's at. So uh, welcome, Brad. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. No, thank you. Um, yeah, just to start, uh, uh, Brad, um, what, why was Cog State founded? And, and when? You know, what was its mission statement, if I can call it that? Yeah, for sure. So Cogstate was founded actually 20 years ago in 1999, um, or the end of 1999. Um, and the original investment thesis was that uh, we have an ageing population, um, particularly in the Western world. We have an increasing incidence of Alzheimer's disease that primary care doctors, GPs, didn't have either the time nor the technology to accurately measure people's um, cognition and sort of we're asking the question of could we use technology to enhance that or to enable um, that accurate um, and but very brief um, assessment of cognition so that was that was the original mission statement um, that, that that the original investment uh, money came into cog state for um, and yeah, and still something we're seeking to do today. But I suppose over the last, over the course of the last twenty years, um, where we haven't seen that sort of launch of Alzheimer's disease therapies that we might have thought we'd seen uh, back in the early two thousands, um, Cog State's business has morphed somewhat, and we uh, we do the majority of our work now is done in clinical drug trials where we're helping pharmaceutical companies essentially asking the question of, you know, did this drug impact the thinking of the patients in the study? So that's where, that's mainly what we do now, but still with an eye on that, um, that, that GP market as to something that we still consider holds the greatest potential for our technology. Sure. And over time, has the test actually changed very much? Um, it's, quite a, it's quite a simple test at heart, isn't it? 
the uh, cognitive. Yeah, it is. It is. So absolutely. So it's really funny that I, over twenty years. So certainly the technology behind it, and the um, you know, the ability to use this, um, you know, over the over the web um, on mobile phones and things like that. So there've been lots of changes the technology, but the many of the tests themselves are essentially identical to the, what was developed um, back in the early early two thousand. Um, and you know, and the original premise of it still holds up, and and some of that is to do with the you know the, the sort of the design specs that we used at the time were actually really good. Um, you know, the scientists who were involved in building that, you know, really wanted to take all the best features that you get from robust medical devices. So think of something like a thermometer, where you don't need expert you know training to be able to deliver it. But you could do, you know, you can get an accurate reading, um, you know, very quickly, and that, and that was sort of the design spec they had that they wanted to take these really complex neuropsychological assessments and, and make them really easy to use and and really repeatable and and, and also very brief. And, and, and basically, how does the test work? Uh, does does the patient sort of sit down and d- detect, say, a pack of cards, and uh, if if it's a joker, or if, yeah, yeah, if so, it's a joker, you know, that, that's a half mark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what? Well, and it's yeah, and so you mentioned cards because we do use playing cards as a stimuli in um, in in a lot of our tests, and and essentially the the basic design of the tests is and this isn't true of all of our tests we've expanded over the years to you know a number of different you know cognitive domains and so different tests that measures different things but there's a whole range of tests that use that playing card um, paradigm and essentially what we do is that at any time there's only one card on the screen um, and everything is either a yes or a no answer um, and depending on what the question is we're asking, um, we measure different aspects of cognition. So we might ask somebody just to respond really quickly um, as the card turns over on the screen and that will measure reaction time. Or we might ask them, have you seen this card before? And we'll have a a number of cards that repeat um, as we're going through the deck of cards and the participant has to remember you know which, which cards they've seen, and so you get that test of memory, or it, or it might be as simple as is this card exactly the same as the previous one you saw, um, which is called a one back test, and there's a well validated you know um, uh, sort of cognitive assessment um, that's used in a number of studies. Um, we have other tests that use um, things like a shopping list, um, so we have this test called the International Shopping List Test, where we uh, we've developed shopping lists that are specific to each country um, so that the items are memorable in that local country. And we ask, we, we tell people a list of 12 shopping items and we ask them to remember them and then we ask them to try and repeat them. So all the tests are designed around you know, really simple um, stimuli, really simple paradigms, um, but that's part of the strength of them in that they're... Um, there's no trick to them because a lot of a lot of neuropsychological tests um, are complex in their design and they ask you to try and remember things. But the problem with those tests is you get better at them over time. So if yes. we asked you, you know, to count backwards from a hundred by nine, right? The first time you do it, you you have to think about it a little bit. Um, 
if we've asked you to do that 45 times, you're going to get better at counting backwards by nine. And so one of the great aspects of um, the, the tests that were designed by our scientists is they don't have those same learning effects. So you don't get better at them over time. And so in the context of a clinical drug trial, that's really important because we want to test people periodically through the trial and you don't want them getting better just because they remembered the test from the last time they did it. So, so if you're a good uh, poker player or card counter, it doesn't, it doesn't help. It doesn't help because there's no there's no uh, rhyme or reason to it. They're just random, randomly generated. Um, yeah, and of course, yeah, the, the, the beauty of a deck of playing cards is yeah, fifty two factorial combinations. So you, um, you know, it, it, it's 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 easy to produce um, a sequence of cards that you know that you haven't seen before. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And um, Brad, where, where are the tests approved? Um, I, I take it they're sort of sold in pretty much all the major Western uh, uh, jurisdictions um, and, and you've uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, in clinical trials in, in clinical trials it's um, a situation where the um, so really you know it, it, the tests are chosen by scientific advisory boards and and then rolled out into global clinical trials so uh, so the our tests have been translated into over 90 languages Um we're currently in, in in the clinical trials market. We're uh, currently running in just over a hundred um, ongoing clinical trials um, around the world. Um, we're being used currently in over five thousand academic research studies. Um, again, all around the world in different in different languages. Um, you know, so everywhere from I mean, basically everywhere you can think of, from China and India and Russia and Australia and the US and Japan and yeah, you know, so all all over the place, and then um, so that's the clinical trials market, and then the the product that we have that's available for healthcare professionals or GPs um, is is actually classified as a medical device. So, in respect of that product, we have to go through a registration process with the local um, regulator, um, and so we've done that um, and had that registered in um, Australia, the US. Uh, Canada, um, Europe, um, and we're pending registration in Japan currently. Yeah, and in Japan, you, you've got a tie-up. You, you, you've just uh, signed a tie-up deal, haven't you, with a, a mob called Azai? Correct, correct. So, um, and this is yeah. So, this was relatively recent. This was only in August of two thousand and nineteen, um, and and I think you know a really big deal for Cog State changes our business dramatically. I said at the start that we. Yeah, we were sort of formed with this um, this goal of wanting to um, make the testing of cognition easier within a GP setting or within that community setting. Um, and the the agreement that we've executed with Azi really gives us the first opportunity to do that in any kind of meaningful way. So they're a large Japanese pharmaceutical company. Uh, they um, they in fact Azi. You know, it, were the creators or the developers of the, the, what's still the leading um, drug treatment for Alzheimer's disease called Aricept. Um, so Azi have a long history um, in Alzheimer's disease, and and neuroscience is one of their specific focus areas. Uh, and 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 the Japanese demographics being so different to what we have here in Australia. I mean, this 
is roughly about 120 million people in Japan and nearly a third of them are over the age of 65 and about 20% of them over the age of 75. Yes, yes, it's a very ageing population, isn't it? Yeah, so they're really old. And so they've, so Azai is really focused on, uh, on how do you manage um, dementia in a society like that. So they're doing a number of things. Um, they're, they're still very much focused on drug development and they have um, both their own and they have and then co-investment in terms of new drugs under development that are, they're hopeful of being released as a treatment for Alzheimer's disease. But they're also investing in things like cognitive testing um, and so they've done that with us, um, where they're going to launch our product um, to consumers, uh, to businesses, to local municipalities, and then also to primary care physicians um, within Japan. So that's a really exciting opportunity for us because it just it gives us the opportunity to market our product without the need for us to gear up with the sales team and you know and all the um, expenses associated with that. And it's a self-assessment tool, isn't it? A digital tool so uh, consumers can test themselves at home. Correct, correct. So, you know, and, and in the Japanese market, we'll essentially be launching two different versions of the product. So there'll be a, um, a consumer-focused product, which won't be, um, uh, you know, as um, complicated or um, provide as much in the way of feedback as the physician tool. Um, but it will still provide people with feedback. And so that's you know, really part of the, the strategy is that individual engagement, allowing people to do their assessment, as you say, um, you know, self-administered at home um, and keep an active check on, on how they're going cognitively. Um, and then a, you know, a, a beefed up version of the tool will be provided to physicians Great, yeah. And look, uh, concussion, it, it's not the major part of your business, I know, but it's a, its an interesting area, isn't it? And uh, you get some good publicity, don't you? Because when a player goes off injured, they're often referred to as, as going off for the uh, cog state test. So that's, uh, that, that's, um, that, yeah. that, that's, that's yeah. very good advertising, isn't it? Um, but, uh, you know, in, in a legal sense, you know, so, so there's just a huge awareness, isn't there, of uh, the dangers of concussion. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, yeah. So it's a huge area, and we so we still do a, as you say, it's not a substantial uh, part of our revenue base now. Um, yeah, which more I suppose reflects the, the growth of revenue that we've had um, in the clinical trials business. Uh, you know, not necessarily the importance of concussion, but um, yeah, we still do a lot of work in concussion. Um, our tests are used by the AFL, the NRL. In fact, most international rugby players use cog state technology. Um, we use by the NBA basketballers in America, the WNBA, uh, the NHL ice hockey players, um, and even the Australian military. So, if you're um, so all um, deployed defence personnel has to have done a cog state baseline assessment. Uh, before okay. they can get on a plane for deployment overseas. So, yeah, there's, I mean, it's, um, and the principle of this is exactly the same as, you know, as is used anywhere else. And so what we're just trying to do is determine, you know, so we establish a baseline. So what, you know, how's your brain working now or how are you thinking now? And then if something happens to you, we measure you again just to see if you're the same as what you were before. And so that applies in, you know, in clinical trials, of course, what you're trying to do is you're trying to make people different, right? So you're trying to give them a drug to make them think better. 
Um, you know, whereas in concussion, you're just saying, you know, are you the same as you used to be? Um, and so, but it's, it's, it's essentially the same thing. And then in fact, you know, increasingly now, our technology is also being used in clinical trials as, a, as what they call a safety measure. So in something like an oncology study, for example, um, where we might be testing a new, um, a new treatment, you might do cognitive testing as a safety endpoint. So just to say, we're just trying to determine whilst we're worried about um, you know, tumour growth rates or something like that as our primary endpoint as to what we're trying to achieve in the study, we're also trying to just assess that it's not making people think worse or it's not having a side effect of impacting their cognition um, by taking this treatment. So, you know, so we, but, the, but the principle remains the same. What were you like at the start? What are you like now? Has that changed? Yes, yes, so quite, uh, quite simple at heart. What's the company's revenue model, uh, Brad? Is it a subscription or pay-as-you-go or a mix of it, both? Yes. Um, so it's, uh, in, it sort of differs between the clinical trials market and then the, that sort of um, um, you know, the, the, the community market or the, 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 the primary care physician market. Um, so it, within the clinical trials market, we have both software licence fees so they, they're charged per clinical trial. And then we wrap around, in clinical trials, we wrap around a whole bunch of services around that. So there's things like scientific consulting and um, data management and statistical analysis and project management. So there's a whole bunch of services that wrap around that in a clinical trial. But they're essentially a licence fee that's calculated as a price per participant in the study. Um, and then um, in the what we call the healthcare market or the, you know, the the market outside clinical trials where we're focused on consumers and GPS, um, in that market, you know, where we'll end up with, I think, is a relatively low cost per test um, that you, that people will do. Um, from a Cogstate perspective, with our agreement with Azi, they've paid us um, an upfront royalty to essentially be our partner um, to launch that product in Japan. And then they've also become a Cogstate shareholder. They, they currently own about 7% of, uh, of Cogstate, having invested some money at the time that we executed um, our license agreement. But um, under that agreement, Cogstate and Azai will, will share our profits in Japan 50-50, um, but they will fund all the... Um, all the costs, all the selling costs and marketing costs for that. So it's not a bad deal for us. Yeah, okay, okay. And uh, how's the company been doing generally? Um, I think you had a bit of a um, a bit of a rough drop for a while, but uh, for the last nine months or so, uh, you've you've actually uh, been in a bit of a uh, a purple patch. Yeah, no, uh, we we yeah. So back through sort of mid two thousand and eighteen calendar year, uh, we had. There was our, our business was impacted by the failure of a number of different ongoing Alzheimer's disease studies, so that was really hard for us. Um, and we, you know, we suffered a loss of revenue from that, you know, that extended through to the, the end of June two thousand and nineteen. Um, but since then, as you say, the business is going tremendously well. We, you know, we recently released our March quarter uh, update. 
um, to the to the ASX, and you know, in that we we told the market that we um, for the nine months from first of July to the thirty first of March that we'd signed over thirty seven and a half million dollars US of of new sales contracts during that period of time. Um, so that makes this two thousand twenty financial year already our most successful year ever. Um, notwithstanding the fact that we've got another quarter left to run. Um, so, you know, the, and that it takes a little bit of time for that revenue to translate from from a sales contract to uh, to recognise revenue. But certainly through through financial year 21, we should see a, you know, a fairly dramatic increase in revenue. Um, and, um, and, and so what we've been telling people is that a, you know, a return to profitability in financial year 21, which is, yeah, which is really encouraging, of course. Yeah, okay. So you sort of, um, you, you've been slightly loss-making, uh, haven't you? But, but you, you have been profitable in the past, so you, you've kind of slipped in and out of profitability a bit? We have, we have. We've, um, so, and that was some of which was deliberate and some of which was, was not as deliberate. So we were profitable, um, you know, sort of through um, fiscal years 15, 16, 17. And then um, we decided to invest a lot um, in that healthcare part of the business so we could see that the world was getting closer to disease-modifying drugs and Alzheimer's disease. And so we wanted to, again, focus on that um, core investment thesis of making, a, of making technology available to, to doctors. Um, and so we... Um, it's, so we invested a lot in that, um, you know, and, and went through the process of getting, you know, approval as a medical device and getting registration in different countries. Um, and then we suffered that, uh, you know, the, the sort of slowdown in clinical trials work in Alzheimer's disease that I referenced before. And we had to make a, a number of adjustments to our business then and we um, reduced some costs. And part of that cost reduction was we we made a determination that we needed to change the way that we wanted to go to market with that um, with that part of the business into that um, that physician market, um, and so we laid off unfortunately a number of people in that part of the business, and then pivoted towards this uh, um, this partnership model, um, and, and which culminated in this agreement with Azai in Japan. So, um, which means that it, it's it's done two things. It's you know it's decreased our cost base substantially, um, but also given us you know a a really um, committed um, sales partner to take our product to market in a way that we probably couldn't have done on our own. So um, so whilst it was tough for us to go through, I think it's you know, it, it's one of those things where it's been for the best because we've learnt a lot along the way. We've we've now established a new distribution model that is a lot lower cost and for a small you know micro cap like cog state of course what you have to be conscious of those of those costs um, so this gives us you know substantial upside without the same cost downside that we we're carrying before so i think this is you know which is a great improvement and then on top of that of course we've seen the rebound in the um uh, in the clinical trials business so i think you know we now have a much better structure for, for providing ongoing profitability in the business. That sounds like news that uh, your uh, shareholders would, would like to hear. And um, speaking of which, um, your, your registers of uh, 
of, of interest uh, in, in that uh, you've got the Meyer family on it. I think Martin Meyer is your is your chairman, so that's uh, the Meyer Meyer family of uh, department store fame. Um, you've also got David Dolby of um, uh, Dolby Family Ventures, and uh, as uh, fans of Spinal Tap would uh, would know, Dol- Dolby is a uh, famous uh, <laughs> sound system. So. Uh, so, so how did how did David Dolby, or, or why did David Dolby get involved in uh, a small Australian company like like yourself? Yeah, it's it, it's a fascinating story. So, um, so you're right. So, uh, David Dolby is still a director of Dolby Labs, which is you know creator of Dolby surround sound, Dolby noise reduction, all that sort of um, that that business. Um, uh, so, um, Ray Dolby, who was David's father and the and the uh, founder of Dolby Labs actually died of Alzheimer's disease in 2013. Oh, um, really? So I was fortunate enough to meet to meet David at an Alzheimer's disease conference. Um, you know, after the diagnosis of their father, the families become very passionate investors um, and philanthropic supporters of Alzheimer's disease research, and particularly around, they've got a real focus around technology, which you can understand. Um, and so he was really interested in our technology um, and felt really passionately about the need to provide into the community just really easy ways to measure cognition that was accurate and reliable. Um, and so, um, you know, through that, you know, um, conversation and that meeting, um, when we went to some time later, when we went to raise money, we went back to David to see whether he would be interested, and they and the family was, um, and became you know a substantial shareholder. In fact, you know at this to this date, still our second largest shareholder. So, um, you know, so that's been fantastic, and they've been you know tremendous supporters of the company. David still sits on our board of directors. Um, so you know, and is actively involved in the business. So yeah, we're really lucky to have um, you know a register, a really supportive register. I mean, you mentioned Martin before. Um, you know, Martin put the original seed. Uh, Martin Meyer put the original seed um, capital into the business. So he he's he's his was the first dollar that was ever spent um, in Cog State, um, and you know, and has participated in every every raising we've done through a 20-year history um, and has been our chairman, you know, since day one. So he's been a fantastic supporter. Um, yeah, we're, and we're, you know, we're very fortunate to also have the likes of um, uh, Alan Finkel, Australia's chief scientist, um, uh, is also a substantial direct a uh, substantial shareholder on, um, on Cog State's register. Oh, right. Well, I didn't, uh, didn't realise that. Yeah, for a small company, it's um, it, it's quite a list of uh, shareholders that we've got involved. Yeah. Okay. Great. All right. Well, look, I'll I'll, I'll wind it up here. But uh, Brad, uh, great to talk. And uh, as they say on uh, Spinal Tap, on a scale of one to ten, uh, hopefully you can uh, amp the business up to eleven. <laughs> thanks, Tim. I really appreciate talking to you. <laughs> no problems. Th- thanks, Brad. Thanks, Tim.